Well, it's good to be back. It was a great message. I so much appreciated John Craig sharing last week. And I, uh, I, if you hadn't have, had an opportunity to uh, listen to it, um, just you will be blessed. And so just so thankful to have him. But I am excited to come back this morning as we are um, approaching the, the finish line of our series. Uh, we're calling it Live Out Loud. Uh, it's a self-examination of, of how our profession of faith is being lived out in the world around us. That's how we're kind of looking at this passage of uh, found in Romans. It's a self-examination, right? Sometimes you can, you, can self, you can save yourself a whole lot of trouble if you would self-examine once in a while, right? Just a public service announcement, right? Um, because if you don't do that, sometimes you're, 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 you're ignoring those things um, will catch up to you. And so what we're looking at is, is Romans chapter 12, and, and we're kind of doing a self-examination. Is How is my profession of faith, the fact that I am a Christian, how is that lived out in the world around us? Because here's the thing, you and I were called to be the salt of the earth, Right? I mean, salt is, salt is a preserver, but it's also a healing agent, right? It's also that which, when applied correctly, brings, brings healing into wounded areas. And you see, we've been given the life-changing message of truth, and, and we've been, we who are ministers of reconciliation, the scripture says, we have an opportunity to bring this truth that we have been recipients of to the world around us, but we need to make sure that the things that we're saying is being backed up by a lifestyle that amens the things that we're saying. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're doing. So instead of looking at everybody else through the lens of Romans chapter 12, we're looking not through a magnifying glass at one another, but we're looking at a mirror at ourselves and saying, is that which is looking back at me looking a lot like Jesus or not? And I think if that's our focus... It guards us against becoming critical towards other people. It keeps us from believing that we're something that we're not. And it also keeps us dependent on a God who's working on us out of love. It keeps us growing because that's what we want. We want, we want to be growing. We want to be more and more like Jesus. And so, so we've been looking at this. Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you're the light of the world. Have you noticed the world is dark? <laughs> it's been getting darker and darker lately. And instead of us always being afraid of the dark and talking about the dark, we need to be light in dark places. You know, the light shines the brightest and darkest of places. And so this is an opportunity for us to bring not our opinion about what's going on in the world around us, but the only message of hope that the world needs, the message of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, you're the light of the world, the city set on the hill, it can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all of the house in the same way. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may hear your profession of faith. No so that they may see your good works and glorify God, glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so it's been our focus to, to kind of look in the mirror and see, God, what are some areas that, that I can grow in? Not, not to beat ourselves up, because that's, I'm not looking to put guilt on anybody, but we're looking to have these moments of 
self-assessment. How can I grow in this area? So we left off last week looking at uh, verses 12 and 13 of Romans chapter 12, just a reminder. Um, Paul writes, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We looked at two weeks ago, rejoicing in hope. We looked at being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and and seeking to show hospitality. This morning, we're gonna kind of pick up right where we left off in verse 14 and we'll see that this this subject matter that we're about to, to discuss is kind of woven all throughout the text, highlighting the importance of it. And perhaps um, what we see in this is a heightened challenge that calls us to, to reflect Jesus in times that may be the hardest. Let's take a look at our text together. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the entirety of the text, verses 14 through 21. 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you, Paul writes. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's very interesting. In these these eight verses, we see a pretty consistent theme. We see what? He says, bless those who persecute you. He says, bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable in in the sight of all. He says, as much as is as, as possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says, don't ever avenge yourselves. Vengeance, he says, is to be left not to us, but to God. Feed your enemy, drink, give drink to, the, to, the, to your thirsty enemy. Do not be overcome with evil. Overcome evil instead with good. You see, there's a theme in these last eight verses that that Paul is kind of highlighting here. You see, the first five verses, verses 9 through 13, talks about how we are to extend love to those who love us. Let love be genuine. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with with brotherly, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. That's pretty easy to pull off in the context of of loving relationships. But have you discovered that not everybody wants to sit around your campfire and sing Kumbaya? Not everybody loves you. And that's that's when the heat gets turned up a little bit. It's easy to love on those who love us. It's easy to like those who like us. It's easy to speak well of those who are speaking well against us or for us. But when the opposite is true, you see, this gets really difficult to live out our faith. 
<laughs> we want to live out loud, but, but not the kind of living out loud that Paul's encouraging us to do. We want to get real loud at that moment and sometimes even violent. Some people do, not us. Why, why would Paul include so much emphasis on how we respond to our enemies in a passage that he's highlighting what the true marks of a Christian ought to be. I mean, couldn't you just kind of set that up as a goal somewhere in your messaging, Paul? Couldn't you kind of throw that in there as a PS, right? Can you, can you give me some steps of looking like Jesus and leave out how I gotta deal with those who hate me and speak evil against me? Can you please not deal with this vengeance in my heart that I want to unleash on people that are unleashing it without reservation towards me? Can you just kind of put that as a PS somewhere else? Why is the majority of this passage of scripture on the true marks of a Christian deal more with how we respond to our enemies than it has to do with dealing with those who, who love us? Paul's taking his lead from Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus taught the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we have the, it is the, the longest recorded sermon from Jesus, the magnum opus of, of what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. Listen to it through Luke's account. This is what Jesus says. He says, love your enemies. Luke chapter six and verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you in the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do the same to them. That's hard, man. I mean, Jesus paints a picture of those who are intentionally out to hurt us. And Jesus says, love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, offer them good things, right? Give to them. Treat them the way you would like to be treated. He says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? Like, who doesn't do that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you, good to, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive that back from, what benefit is that? That's just a good transaction, a financial transaction. Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. It will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, he says, even as your father is merciful. Now, I don't care how spiritual you are, that is a really hard pill to swallow. I mean, that's, that's, that's really when it gets, really gets difficult to live out our faith. It goes against every natural response that we might have. And perhaps that's exactly why Jesus calls us to it. So that we wouldn't act out 
on those natural responses. Perhaps that's the reason why Paul pays so much attention to how we are to respond to those who hurt us. Going back to our text, we recognize that, that Paul is instructing us on not doing that which appears totally natural and appropriate to us. He's saying, don't do those things. Going back to our text, he says, what? He says, bless those, bless those who persecute you. He says, do not curse them. Verse 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Why? Because that's our natural tendency. And the challenge is don't live out in your natural tendency, but let the life of Christ be lived out in you. Don't avenge yourselves, but vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That goes against the grain. I mean, that's where it gets, that's why I say this, there's enough to deal with right here that I don't got the time to point fingers at who's doing what, right? If we, if we look at the mirror more than the magnifying glass, we find ourselves sleeping a lot better and maybe more, moving more towards God's plan and purpose for our lives. But notice what he says in verse 21 which in my opinion is the, is, the, is the why behind the way that we're to respond to those to hurt us. Why, why would Jesus say, bless those who hate you? Why would Paul say, repay no one evil for evil? Why would we be called to that? Verse 21 says it this way, do not be, over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, evil is an option and it's on you to not be overcome by it. Your natural inclination, your natural response may bring about an evil response and with the challenge of Jesus and the challenge of Paul is to not be overcome by those things. I recognize that the default setting in each and every one of us has been to unleash evil, but Paul says, don't do it. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't be influenced. Don't let evil win out. That's not what I've called you to. This is, this is in the context of what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What are the marks of a Christian? The marks of the Christian are more concerned about what's going on on the inside of here than what's going on on the outside around us. Do you know that the first step in overcome, being overcome by evil, so for those who want to be overcome by evil, I'll give you the first step on how to get there, right? The first step in being overcome by evil is what? Is by entertaining evil thoughts in your heart. If you ever want to produce evil actions, then entertain evil thoughts in your heart. And that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't become over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Revenge or unforgiveness in our hearts is what fuels the fire that leads to being overcome with evil. But notice the remedy that Paul presents here. He says, if you don't want to be overcome by evil, then overcome evil 
with good. Overcome evil with good. I know it sounds crazy, but you can, you can see the wisdom of God in it. Here's, here's the question we need, to re, we need to consider. If we, if we respond to our enemies in the same way that they are responding to us, how am I any different than they are? If I repay evil with evil, they might have just started it, but I'm doing the same thing. How am I the light of the world then? How am I, how, how am I the salt of the earth then? In fact, it becomes a fast track in becoming just like your enemy. When you respond to your enemy like your enemy, it's a fast track to become just like your enemy. Instead of reacting to our enemy, we ought to focus on responding to the enemy within each and every one of us. That's the title of my message this morning, responding to the enemy within. It's us. It's our own flesh. It's our own areas that still need to be redeemed. If you don't want to be like the person who's hurting you, then don't respond to them in the same way that they're responding to you. Instead, you use that hurt as a tool in your sanctification. We've all been on the receiving end of the lashings of people, right? I mean, nobody signs up for that. We all know what it is to be hurt. We all know what it is to be attacked. But you see, too many times we focus on what they are doing to us, that we don't deal with the stuff that that attack is revealing about us on the inside. And oftentimes, this might not be your, your reality, but it's my reality, what I see coming up is oftentimes just as bad as what's being done to me. And so I can ignore what's going on here and focus on them, or I can use what's going on from them to deal with what's coming up inside me. What comes up inside of you when, what comes up inside of you when, when someone has their sights fixed on you? You know that feeling. That's the stuff that you want to give to God. I mean, we've all prayed that prayer, oh, search my heart, oh God. Know me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Okay, let me show you what's inside of you. He'll send somebody to you that rubs you the wrong way, that hurts you, that attacks you, that assaults you, that does whatever, and brings something inside of you, and you just want to kill them. And you go, God, look what they're doing to me. And God's saying, look what's inside of you. The, the, the squeeze from the outside is what brings up the stuff from the inside. And the marks of a true Christian is not that we don't have the stuff on the inside. The marks of a true Christian is what are we going to do with the stuff? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to grow from it? Or are we going to go after their throat with it? Let me tell you. If you heard nothing else, 
This truth applies to every relationship that you're engaged in, whether they're healthy relationships or adversarial relationships. I got in trouble, I'll get in trouble, but it's about do it anyway. <laughs> I've got a really healthy marriage, I really do, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. My wife, we are good friends, we are good lovers, we enjoy each other, and there's wonderful, I'm, so, I'm thankful, I, I really, um, married 26 years and I do it all over again and I, that, I, I mean that um, she married somebody very imperfect and so did I but we're perfect for each other and, and, and there, are, there are things about my makeup about my, the way I'm wired that brings the best out of my wife I could bring the best out of my wife and she brings the best out of me but there are some things about the way that I am wired and my makeup and my insecurities and my hurts and my path, my past and whatever, those things can bring the worst out of my wife. And there are some things that my wife can do that can bring the worst out in me. And see, here, here's the thing, and this is in the context of a great relationship. For those of you who are married, do, do you find that your wife can get, or your husband can get you to a place that nobody else can get you? Don't raise your hands. Ken, don't do that. But I know you meant in a good way, right? Because it's true, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a relationship on steroids. Everything is super intense. But here's the thing. I, all right, so I'm already crossed the line. Um, <laughs> I'll be sitting in the car, waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. And, and those of you who know me know I hate to wait. I really do. I, I pride myself on being punctual all, punctual all the time and see God knew that. And so he, he gave me a woman who's got the gift of all the time in the world, right? And so I'm in the car waiting, and first I'm working on just having a good attitude, right? And then, and then the good attitude turns into a bad attitude. And then I'm like, and then I'm getting frustrated. Then I'm getting like, I just want to leave. I just want to, I just want, I want to drive. I've done this. I've driven out the driveway, drove up and down and thick, honked the horn, did that passive aggressive thing once in a while, you know? And, and see, and meanwhile, I find out afterwards, like, you know, she's locking the door, she's turning off the stove, she's feeding the cat. I mean, all the things that I could have done while I had all this time in the world to sit in the car, I didn't do it. But see, what's going on is I am getting so angry. And you know what? This is, this is gonna get real, real. You can make me wait and I won't get angry at you. Is that real? I mean, that, that's the truth. Anybody else can do it, but my wife does it, I get angry. She has the ability to, so God, God allows that, I'm not gonna say flaw, I wouldn't dare say flaw, that thing, whatever you wanted to find that thing. I can try and change her or I can try and change me. And you see, what I've discovered is, is that frustration, that pride, that aggregance, that commitment to 
looking like I'm always punctual, whatever, whatever it is, only my bride can bring that out in me. And you see, you and I have people like that in our lives. Healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships, they bring stuff out and see, here's the thing, I can go after that person or I can go after this person. And when I deal with this person and I deal with this stuff on the inside, I find I have a lot more patience. And I start looking like Jesus a little bit, bit more. And you see, God allows those kinds, I know I gave you a, a, a very a light experience because I know there's, there's a lot more intense experiences that everybody has, but, but the reality of it is God allows people and circumstances to come into our life, things that we would opt not to have to go through or be with, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. And when they bring stuff out in us, we have an opportunity to respond like Christ would have us to respond. I don't even know where I am in my notes at this point. But it's here that I, that I kind of focus is, is, here's the thing. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but Jesus has never showed up into my room and worked on me. The way Jesus works on me is he sends people and situations, good and bad and ugly, and going through the process of that is the way in which I am being worked on. I am his workmanship. You see, so if if, if God God is working on us, and if God is allowing things to happen, then I can't attack the tools that he's using. I can't hate the tools and see, here's the thing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who speak evil against you. Why? Because the only way that you're not going to become like them, the only way that you're not going to be overcome by evil is to overcome evil with good. When they curse you, you speak blessing so that you don't become like that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is defending his ministry because people didn't understand how God can use a former persecutor of the church to advance the gospel. And so uh, Paul found himself oftentimes having to defend himself as, a, uh, as an apostle. And it's in that passage that Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. Um, a tool that God uses to, to make him humble. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 uh, here's Paul I mean Paul again for those who don't know Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament Paul was carried into the third heaven seen things absolutely incredible he wasn't even allowed to speak about it Paul started churches I mean you know prior to this Paul's persecuting the church he has a, a come to Jesus moment and now his, his, his faith is on fire and he's, and he's, he's impacting the world around him and God allows Paul to experience something to kind of keep his feet on the ground. Something that Paul says or defines as a thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse seven, so Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Wow, 
That's a self-aware guy right there, just, by, just, just a heads up. This is a guy who's really aware that he has the potential. Remember, he's a Pharisee, religious leader prior to this, right? So he's aware of what he's capable of, and he had seen such incredible things that it would have been, wouldn't have been much of a stretch for him to get very conceited. And so he says, God sent a thorn in the flesh. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. God, would you take this away? He says, but three times God responded and said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, Paul, no, I'm not going to take this away, for my grace is sufficient for you. What you need will be given to you when you need it, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he says, if I'm going to be conceited about anything, if I'm going to boast about anything, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, not of the things I've experienced, but of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. In other words, what Paul is doing here is he's embracing the pain. He's embracing the hardship. He's embracing the things that would make us want to run away from it. Why? Because Paul realized that when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Don't you want that kind of a commitment? I mean, I read that kind of thing. I'm like, what a rock star. I mean, he, he kills it. How did Paul not turn on those who turned on him? And he had so many who turned on him. How did he not insult those who insulted him? How did he not curse those who cursed him? How did he not persecute those who, I mean, it wasn't like he was Jesus. How did he not do that? Perhaps, Perhaps he looked in the mirror and remembered he, something he wrote a few years earlier in Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 where he said, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It is a choice to not respond in that way. How do we not Respond to the enemy within. And I'm, just not, I'm not talking about the devil, although they might feel like that at times. How do we, that, that, that warring in our soul. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter seven. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I do want to do, I find myself, I'm not doing them. He said, what's this war going on inside me? Right? And, so we, and I think we can all identify with that. How do we not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? How do we respond to the enemy within? Five things, and then I'm gonna wrap it up. Number one, focus on what's coming up inside of you, not what's happening outside of you. Focus more on what the event or the person is revealing to you about you than what the person is revealing to you about you. You hear that? Focus more. And that, that, that might need, mean you need to pull away from the situation. You might need to take a moment of pause and allow yourself to go places you don't normally go where you kind of think, all right, what am I feeling right now? And why am I feeling this way? 
And when else have I ever felt this way? Well, I felt like that over there, but what's the same here as there? I've developed an insecurity over this here. You see, that's how we grow. Focus on what's coming up inside of you, not what's happening outside of you. Number two, ask God to forgive you of those things on the inside that are contrary to your new nature. Listen, I joked around about the fact we said, yeah, I just want to kill them. That's not a good thing, by the way. When God shows you those things, it's kind of like, God, forgive me because this is not consistent with my new nature. God reveals these things to us that's part of our sanctification, our, our, our becoming more and more like Jesus. We need to repent of those things. We need to ask God's forgiveness of the anger and the vengeance and, and, the, and all the things that circumstances tend to bring up. And instead of, of, of reacting and attacking everybody else around us and defending ourselves, we go to our judge and say, guilty. Will you forgive me? Ask God to forgive you of those things on the inside that are contrary to your new nature. Number three, pray for those who are involved in the hurt towards you so that you don't become like them. Listen, you can't hate somebody that you regularly pray for. It's just not going to happen. You pray for someone long enough, you're, you're, that, that anger, that frustration, that's like, I, I, I love, anytime I'm involved in different marriage counseling, I'll ask them, are you praying for each other? No. Well, that's part of the problem here. You start praying for each other and you find it's really hard to be angry with each other. Pray for those who are involved in the hurt towards you so that you don't become like them. Number four, really important, reject the feeling of being a victim. Reject the feeling that you're a victim in all this. Because when we feel like we're a victim, then we feel validated in our anger and our hurt towards other people. We're not victims. If God allows something to come into your life, don't see yourself as a victim. See yourself as a work that God, that, that, see yourself as someone that God is working on. That's part of his revealing things in you so that you can grow. Reject the feeling of being a victim. And number five, really important, really important. You ready? Rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know this is hard stuff. This is hard to wrap our arms around. I, I get it. This, hey, listen, this is a lot easier to preach than it is to live it out, just being straight honest with you. Rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Think about it. You've got God, the Holy Spirit, that is so committed to you that he'll allow circumstances to come into your life that breaks his heart when it breaks your heart because God loves you, right? But he loves you so much that he's gonna bring things into your life so that you can be conformed more and more into his image. Listen, that just screams of value. God values you so much that he'll allow the hardships to come in so that you can be conformed into his image so that you won't be bound up by anger and hatred and malice and all the things that, that kind of reside on the inside and start to come out when people attack you. God is so committed to you. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to take a moment to pause and celebrate the fact that, man, I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's gonna complete the work in me. And when I start rejoicing in that, I stop, I stop focusing on what everybody else is doing to me and I start focusing on what you are doing in me. When we deal with the enemy within, 
the enemy on the outside can never really hurt us. When we deal with the enemy within, the enemy on the outside can never really hurt us because they become a tool in the hands of a loving God to conform us more and more into his image. Now, it doesn't mean you're not gonna suffer loss. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy and rosy and you're gonna be sitting around that fire singing kumbaya. But you're gonna be more and more like Jesus. And that's the goal of this thing called life, by the way. To bring glory to God by the way in which we live this thing out. And so when we deal with the enemy within, the enemy on the outside can never really hurt us. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for your commitment to us to conform us. Lord, when we recognize that it is you at work in us, we, we recognize that we don't have the right to be angry and hurt other people. Help us, Lord, to to live that out and live it out loud. Lord, may we be a reflection of the way Christ lived when he was under attack. Help us, Lord, to put these things in motion in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen.